Let's turn in our Bibles to Judges chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 1, Judges chapter 4. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. Remember Ehud's the one that was left-handed and took a dagger about 18 inches long and killed the king of Eglon, the king Eglon. When did they do evil? After he died after his influence, after his guidance. And that is repeated all through this book. And the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor. Now the captain of whose host was Caesarea, which dwelt in Herateth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. This man who was over, who was under Jabin the king. In 20 years, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, the prophetess, or the, poet, the one who would write poems and sing songs, the whole chapter 5 is about her song of praise. She judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abiohim, out of Kajith Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded... She has a word from the Lord for this man named Barak. Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun. And I will draw thee to the river Kishon, Syria, the captain of Jabin's army. You go down here, and I'm going to draw his army down to this place with his chariots and his multitudes, and I will deliver him into thine hand. He, didn't, he said this is what he was going to do. And Barak said unto her, If thou will go with me, then I will go. But if thou will not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Caesarea into the hand of a woman. And Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab. Now, Hobab was the father-in-law of Moses. Had served himself, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent in the plain of Zanim, 
which is Bakidish. And they showed Caesarea that Barak, the son of Adonahim, had gone up to Mount Tabor. And he gathered together all his chariots, this man over all these 900 chariots, his chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Haruzeth of the Gentiles unto the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Caesarea into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomforted Syria and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Syria lighted down off of his chariot and he fled on his feet. He's scared to death, running as a coward. He sees that he's going to be defeated. His 900 chariots can't save him. His works of religion can't save him. And Barak pursued after the chariot and after the host unto Herosheth of the Gentiles. And all the host of Caesarea fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Now Caesarea fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Caesarea, and, he said, and she said, and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in to her into, his, into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. And again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come to require of thee, and say, Is there any man here that thou shalt say no? Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent, a tent stake, and took a hammer in her hand, and went softly unto that man, and put the nail into his temple, and drove it all the way through and fastened him to the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Caesarea, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, I'll show you the man whom you seeketh. And when the woman came into her tent, behold, Caesarea lay dead, and the nail was in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Let us pray. Fathers, we come to your word, come to this passage of scripture. May you reveal yourself to us, that you are the God who destroys our enemies. And we realize that we have many enemies, many enemies without and many within. And only you can set us free. Help us today to look to you for all things. 
Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. May you be exalted and honored, and we ask this in your name. Amen. If you want to read on after this lesson till next week's, you can, between now and next Sunday, you can, chapter 5. It's, that seemed like a right smarter reading, which it was, it was 24 verses about this incident. This, we looked at, who was it, Shamgar last week? One verse. One man took an ox goad, uh, what he was used to using, what he had at hand, and killed 600 Philistines. And that's all, it was recorded in one verse. Here a whole chapter is recorded about God delivering these people into the hands of the children of Israel. He delivered Israel not with a mighty army. And it seems odd that he, he usually doesn't use that big a number, but that whole number, 10,000, is not what killed this man. It was one woman with one stake in the temple. It's what killed, what turned the whole army. This man was over all the army of the king of Canaan. <clears throat> He killed him. He destroyed him. Shamgar, someone said, like a preacher of the gospel, who uses the only tool at his disposal. What do we use? We use the scriptures. It's not the only tool. It is the tool. It's pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. Not some other gospel. The gospel of Christ that honors him. He, he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. It's kind of like, you know, Barak said, now, Deborah, I'll go if you go with me. She said, okay, I'll go with you, but you're not going to get the honor. The Lord's going to give it, he said, to a woman. It was two women, Deborah and Jael. They were the ones that the Lord, those are the ones the Lord used. We read a chapter like this, and I know most of you, the first thing comes to your mind, you go, well, that's a little different. Because God, he, we know he, doesn't call, he didn't call any disciples that were women. He doesn't call women to preach. But that doesn't, say, that doesn't mean the Lord can't use women. He used this woman. She told, she told Barak. He didn't speak directly to Barak. He spoke to this woman, and she said, this is what you're to do. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And as I thought about that, I thought about... Sarah. Now she's not she's not referred to as a prophetess, but you know, she told Abraham, Ishmael and Hagar have to go. That was God speaking to Abraham through that woman. And he had to send them away. They can't stay here. The Lord raised up this, she's referred to here as a prophetess that had rest for 80 years. But now, they, after Ehud is dead, and it always happens after the, the judge, as soon as the judge dies, they go right back to worshiping idols. He raises her up as a prophet, as a songwriter to be a judge of his people. You know, there was other prophetess it mentions in the scripture. If you want to turn to this one in Luke chapter 2, woman named Hannah, I mean Anna. Luke 2.36, and there was Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of 
Thaniel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age, and she'd lived with that. She'd lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. And she departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she, coming into that instance, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake to him of all that looked for redemption in Israel. She just happened to be there that day when they brought our Lord in when he was eight days old. And that's when Simeon says, I've seen thy salvation and I can die. And she was there. She was there. But then let me read you this one. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, you know, there's always counterfeits. Revelation 2.20, Never the, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, speaking, I think he's speaking to the church of Ephesus, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess. Not that she was a prophetess, she called herself a prophetess. And what did this woman do? She taught and seduced my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. You know what Deborah's name means? It means a bee, B-E-E, like a honey bee. But in the word has changed over time to become to mean busy, like a busy bee. But it has her, the word actually has more to do with orderly manner than with being just busy. What has God brought to Israel when he raised up this woman? Order. Without a leader, allowed a leader, there's no order. There's just confusion. There's just anarchy. Everybody, as it says in the book of Judges, everybody's going to do that which is right in his own eyes, and that's what they did. And he raised up this woman. God is a God of order. You remember that. And he raised up this woman to restore order to Israel. Israel had rebelled. Turn back to their idols. And it says God sold them into the hands of the king of Canaan. Well, when I think about them being sold, I think they became slaves if they were sold into the, into the hands of this king. And he ruled over them. The king of Canaan ruled and reigned. I was reading something this morning. <clears throat> where these people, I don't know exactly where they were at, but they had these bottles. They were filled with scriptures. They were filled with notes. They had put thumb drives in these bottles, and they were dropping them into the ocean, hoping that the current would actually take them to North Korea. Because under that regime, if you claim to be a Christian, you're put to death. And when they say, for the, we sing a song and give God the glory, may God be exalted, they talk about Kim Jong-un. He thinks he's God. Can you imagine that could have been like Israel? We don't know, but they were sold unto this man. He bought them. And you know what sin does? 
it will rule over you. There's no resisting it. You can't resist sin. We don't have the ability to stop sinning. We don't. Whether it's this man, it's always raising its all up his ugly head. And then what happens? We go into captivity. We go into oppression. Jabin, the king, had a mighty man in his army named Syria. He will later prove, as we've already read, to be a coward. To be a coward. And he will flee for his life. Remember the scripture, I don't remember exactly where it is, but it said the wicked flee when no man pursues. Why is he fleeing? He's afraid for his life. You mean his 900 900 chariots of iron couldn't save him? No. And I thought this was ironic also. Just, you heard me mention, I think last Sunday, about watching something on the History Channel. They were showing these weapons, ancient weapons of warfare. And everybody talks about the chariots of Egypt, you know, that they could just, they could move so fast and shoot arrows from the chariots. But one of the worst things they had was had these chariots, and on each side where the axles come out, they had sharp swords about six feet long. And these things are just spinning. That's what it has reference to here. These are his chariots of iron. You know what they were? Killing machines. Isn't it sad the money we spend just to kill people? He had these 900 instruments of war. And you know what? That's what men trust in. It doesn't matter how many ballistic missiles anybody's got. It doesn't matter. Our Lord's in control of all of it. This man thought, oh, we, we're, we're real, we can rule because we're going to strike fear in men. You don't want to mess with us. I tell you a little secret. One you don't want to mess with is God. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from your way just a little. His name means battle array. And it talks about him trusting in his chariots. His name does not suggest that he was a great leader himself or a man of war, but this is what he trusted in. What do most men trust in? They trust in themselves. They trust in their own strength. And when a man gets afraid, he's going to run somewhere. Why did he run to this woman's house? Because he thought they were friends with the king. He thought he could find a safe place. But what he thought was a safe place ended up being the place where he was killed. Where he was killed. It says here, as we read, Israel cried because of those chariots. And they oppressed them for 20 years. That's what sin does. It causes oppression. Sandy, will we ever be set free? How are we to be delivered? We're no match for these things. Like I said, we're no match for sin. Israel has no weapons of war. We see that he gathered these men together, but it doesn't say they had any weapons because they had been stripped of their weapons. Turn with me to Isaiah 31, verse 1. <clears throat> 
Many times in scriptures it makes reference to Egypt. People going down to Egypt. When Abraham, when a famine came, where did he go? He went to Egypt. When, when Isaac, the one after him, when a famine came, where did he go? He went to Egypt. Woe to Isaiah 31 verse 1. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay or trust on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they looked, but they looked not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Why don't men seek the Lord? They're going to run, they will run everywhere else, but to him. Egypt can't save you. The world can't save you. Religion can't save you. <clears throat> Deborah called Barak and informed him of God's word. She tells him what to do. This was a promise said that God would deliver these people into their hands. And I don't understand. He, he may be being anxious or something. I don't know. It seems odd that he'd say, to me, I just put it plain. It don't seem real manly that he'd say, tell a woman, say, no, if you, I ain't going to, you go with me. I mean, I, I don't understand everything in here. But that's the way I see it. But then she said, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And she did. She went with that whole army of 10,000 men. And she told him, she said, but when the day's over, there's nothing that's not in question whether we're going to win or not. When the battle's over, he's not giving you the glory. He's getting the glory. And she goes with him. Israel defeated the enemy in all the chariots of war. You know, that's what Pharaoh was trusting in. We don't know how many chariots he had when he let them go. Then he changed his mind. He said, I'm going to get them. Go get all my chariots. Strike fear in them. And they get right up against Israel and can't touch them. Israel's blocked in between the Red Sea and the whole army of Egypt. And Egypt can't do a thing because God come between them. And come the next morning, God said, you stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God opened up that Red Sea. And God brought them through, every one of them, all his elect safe on dry ground. Well, what about them chariots? They said, we can do the same thing. Okay, you go ahead and try it. And about the time they get in there, I can, I can see them. And the walls begin to cave in on them and destroy them. And you know you know what was written right after God destroyed that mighty army? It's when Miriam sings the song of Moses. <laughs> he delivered them. What do we learn from this? If you're ever to be delivered, God must deliver you. It'd be hard, it would be hard to stand still when you knew a Red Sea was in front of you, and there's no way you can't build a boat, you, you can't walk on water. In Pharaoh's army. <clears throat> but he destroyed them. Now some believe, if you'll just turn over to chapter 5, verse 4, how did he destroy these, <clears throat> these, 
these chariots. Judges 5, verse 4 and 5, Lord, when thou wentest out to Seir, when thou marchedest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heaven dropped the in heaven, and the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. Some believe in that valley, he let it rain, and he destroyed those chariots, just like he destroyed Pharaoh's chariots. The very thing we and the men of this world trust in, God must destroy it. Must destroy it. In Psalms 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So here you see the battle. Everyone's being defeated. And what's this man to do? He's, he's terrified. He knows unless he does something or less, and he's going to run to try to, he wants to find a place to hide, a place of safety, a place of rest. And he takes off running in Syria, sees him running. So, you know, he lets, he goes after him. But it's just like us trying to destroy sin. It's just always out of our reach. We're always chasing it. And in this life, it's never defeated. But it just happened to come to a tent of a woman named Jael. She was kin to Moses by marriage. And as I thought about that, you want know to thought about, you know, Moses is a picture of the law. There's so many pictures here. This, to me, it could picture somebody running to the law for safety. I love that song, Hail Sovereign Love. And it speaks of somebody running to the law, and the law says, this is no hiding place. There's no place of safety here. There's no place of security. There's just condemnation. But she's kin to Moses by marriage. He thought this woman would help him. She invited him into her tent. And I could see her saying, everything's okay. You don't have to be afraid. He come to find some rest. He's probably been running like a coward. And he asked for water. And instead of water... She gave him milk. In chapter 5, verse 25, it said, He asked water, and she gave him milk, and brought forth butter on a lordy dish. You know where you get milk butter from? You churn milk. So I believe she brought him some warm milk, and then she maybe brought him some butter. And they say warm milk usually puts makes men sleepy. So he drinks his warm milk. And he lays down, you think about it. He's deceived into thinking that everything's okay. But he'll never wake up. He's laying there asleep, safe, not a care in this world. 
she came to the tent. He came to the tent hoping to find refuge and rest. Now he's asleep, not fearing any danger. And someone said, instead of finding rest, he gets a splitting headache. I mean, you imagine she's just a woman. I don't know how, I'd say those stakes are pretty good size. And she takes that stake, and you go, man, how horrible. That man pictures sin. It has to be destroyed. Has to be. We don't, you show any, any, any leeway to sin, and it'll destroy you. It will destroy us. When Barak comes up, gets, catches up with him, he's met by this woman, Jael, who said, I want to come show you the man you're looking for. You imagine what the man thinks when he walks into that tent and see that man's head nailed to the floor. Here's the one you're looking for. You don't have to worry about him anymore. He's dead. You know, I know we sin. We know that there's not a question about that. But sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, so we do sin. But sin does not have dominion over us. Why? He's dead. Dead. When Christ died... He satisfied the law. And the one who gets the victory here is Deborah and this woman. God in his providence brought this woman, this man, to this woman. Why didn't she go to somebody else's tent? And she destroyed him there in that place which he thought was a place of safety. He enabled this woman to do this. Like Shamgar, and he had an ox goad. This woman had a hammer and a stake. She'd use that hammer often. She'd probably drove many of those stakes for her tent. Turn to Deuteronomy 9, verse 3. The law of God kills all of his enemies. But you know what? We also, we have, we don't, it's not just the law. I know the law, God kills and he makes alive. But it's grace that delivers. The grace that sets a man free. Grace. Grace. If you're set free, it's because of grace. You're not under the law, but we're under Grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Deuteronomy 9, 3. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God, he, he, the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire, he shall destroy them and bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord hath said Unto you, he will destroy them. In all these judges, all through this book, here's what we're going to see. 
we see this reoccurring theme, sin, oppression. They're taken into captivity, and when they're taken into captivity, then they call upon the Lord. He raises up a deliverer. He delivers them. Then you see destruction of the enemy, and in some way you see a picture of God preaching the gospel to set his people free, and that's what does repeating each cycle. People say, well, I can't understand why things are so bad. You know what it is? It's just repeating a cycle. It's just over and up. There's no, nothing new under the sun. There's a constant battle. Is that not it? There is a constant battle. Just because you got out of your car and walked in here, that doesn't mean the battle stopped. The battle's in here. The battle's in here. It rages. And only God can deliver us. Only he can deliver us. Our dealing with sin is a battle. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We're not going to go get us a sign and go down here at the interstate or down in front of Walmart and start picketing. That's not the weapons we use. We use the weapon right here. We use the preaching of the gospel. That's what he's ordained. It's not carnal. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is something that's been there a long time. They have a stronghold. This king of Canaan, he had a stronghold over Israel, casting down imaginations. What are imaginations? You have an imagination. You have a mind. It's an image in your mind. Men have an image in their mind, in their imagination, what they think that God is like. They, some way, you, you know what I'm talking about. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What did the man say when he come to, uh, when Naaman the Syrian came to Elisha's house? I thought. That thought has to be thrown down. I thought he would come out and make a big show. That's what I thought. Every thought. Don't you wish you could control your thoughts? You can't. Our first thought is always, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How can... Wonder what this man thought when he sees all the chariots being destroyed. What's the first thought? I've got to run. I thought this would work. We see how it worked out. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
sin oppresses us. And we won't stop sinning till we leave this world. You're not improving. You're not getting better. If anything, it seems, it seems this way. It seems to me that we get worse. Oh man, he's just getting older. He just has more tricks. And he wants to deceive us. And you know what the main thing sin wants to do? It wants to turn you from Christ. That's it. Barak, the believer, he's prepared for war. You know how you prepared? He rested upon the promises of God. He said, God's going to deliver the army in your hand. Well, how do we fight the battle? How are we prepared for war? We rest upon the promises of God. There's more of us than there are him. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he said, and he didn't. He, now, Israel, it may seem like he left them alone for a while, for 20 years, but he delivered them. You know why? They're his people. He's bound to care for them and protect them, and he may chasten them. Because he loves them. Those that I love, I rebuke and chase. That's a promise. It's not a threat. It's a promise. Deborah, who pictures the prophet, the word of God, whose, whose promises are sh- promises sure victory. Now, you, you may battle in this world. But I can tell you this from God's word. His promises, you will have sure victory. Why, he's won the victory. He's defeated every enemy. Sin is a mighty foe with many chariots of war to come against us. Sin wounds us. The longer we are in this fight, the more we are made to realize that we cannot win on our own. I'd say David thought when he went up on the that the housetop, they would go up there because the breeze would blow and it was a place of rest. And you could kind of, if you could, talk uh, clear your mind and you could think upon, meditate upon the scriptures. But David wasn't safe there. His thoughts began to wonder. Then we know what happened. It wounds us. It is by God's grace that we may seem like at times inflict some damage to sin. Someone said, you can knock the wheels off of one chariot, but there's 899 more coming. Let me read to you what Mr. Spurgeon said. The notion of us defeating sin is usually the notion of young children of God. As you grow older and more mature in Christ, we realize our sin has more power over us than we care to admit. Yet, because we've been given love for Christ, we continue to engage the enemy. We cannot but try to be done with that which we know hurts our relationship with the Lord. We do not win the battle, although God gives us moments when we seem to be able at times to taste a little victory. Means 
It appears in this story here today that as soon as the battle appears to be ours, the enemy disappears. Oh, where's he at? I knew I almost, I almost had him. And he runs and hides. You know, it talked about when the children of Israel, they'd begin to sin. And you know what the Lord would do? He would send out hornets because they would want to go hide. They, I think, it, you know, you can't hide from sin. <laughs> People think they go into a monastery and, they, and then the men, they don't get married. And the women, they don't get married. Well, oh, oh, we're going we're gonna to separate from sin. It seems some way to climb over the wall. Because you know why? It's in here. It's in here. Paul said, that which I would do, I don't do. We, can't, we stay in pursuit of sin. We cannot give place to the devil. We must, re, must resist sin. We cannot win, but we cannot quit. We cannot win, but we cannot quit. All our efforts to do away with sin is, are doomed to fail. We cannot and we will not give up the battle. You just say, well, I'm just tired of battling with it. See how that works out. When we find that our enemy is outrun us and hid from us, we see a woman who comes out to meet us. Now she could be a picture of the church. She has a message, and her message is, let me show you your enemy, the one you were battling. He's dead. Christ put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He was made sin for us who knew no sin. She takes us into her house and shows us our enemy dead and nailed through the temple, fast to the floor. He can't move. We didn't kill him. Somebody did. She has slain the enemy being in Christ when, we, when he put, put, us, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Turn on, show you this in Isaiah 22, verse 22. You know that man couldn't move if he wanted to. He's unmovable. Isaiah 22, 22, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders, so he shall open and none shall shut. And he can shut and none can open, and I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house, and they shall hang upon him, upon our Lord, all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quality, from the vessels of cups even to the vessels of flagons. Let me give you this one in Colossians. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us. And you know what he did? He took it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. 
What about all the handwriting? What about everything that was against me? You know what he did? He took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. And that satisfied it. In the world, we struggle with our sin. We keep finding out every day that the war is not finished. We find out that sin has subdued us, tricked us. When we set out some way by our efforts to do him in, and it never works. And when I could see the man say, well, where's he at? He's tired too. He's chasing him. Boy, if I could find him, I'd kill him. That's what we think. We're going to give all the effort to try to destroy him. And she comes out and she says, I know who you're looking for. He did. The thing you've been struggling with so much, Christ has nailed it to the cross. I believe he's standing there just going, wow. It ain't what he did. It ain't what you do. It's what Christ has done. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Lord, deliver us from, from ever even giving the, even the second thought that we could overcome sin. Our life is a paradox. Because sin is finished, we seek, we seek to finish it. No, it's done. Though we know we cannot finish it, we know it's finished. We don't do what we do to be righteous. We do what we do because we are righteous. We know that we are dead to sin, and we spend our life wrecking it, reckoning it to be so. After pursuing the enemy and finding him dead, we find out that this truly is Danny. Good news. He's dead. And when our Lord did on the cross, he crushed the serpent's head. He's defeated. We may sin. But you need to get me this. We don't, we don't, Use this as a license to sin. Every sin, past, even right now as I stand before you, I sin, and the sin I will commit tomorrow are all put away. They're all gone. Now, if that ain't good news, I don't know what is. Amen. Like I said, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll pick up there in chapter 